0: What do you have today, Andrew?
1: I have you, Jeremy Siegel. And I also have a legal expert who is going to take us through the latest Trump indictment.
2: Okay, people, let's begin.
1: we have liftoff get up everybody are you ready to be baited with the truth good because you're listening to the truth bait podcast i'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster andrew marcus and with me now as we deconstruct america's propaganda war and reconstruct america's cultural narrative is documentary filmmaker and podcaster your cultural therapist and mine. The one and only Rebel Pundit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, put your hands together for Jeremy Siegel! Jeremy Siegel is with us today, Jeremy. I'm excited. I feel like I'm back. Everybody's excited. Welcome back, Jeremy Siegel, to the podcast.
0: Oh, it feels I, like I'm... A- not really back but i'm back you are back uh
1: you are well you're on a skype line which is normally we use clean feed that's really the the top of the line uh, super highway that we use today you're basically on a state highway right that you, you're on a so, you know I'm, state so route I'm doing a call
0: yeah yeah but well, hey you, hey you were you were begging me so much to come back. <laughs> the- I was,
3: <laughs>
1: Jeremy. <laughs> I even Trump was indicted I- for a fourth time. How could you not come on to 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 go through this with me? I, can't, I- this is unbelievable. Indicted a fourth time, Jeremy. Are are you well, devastated?
0: I've busy- no, I've been busy. I mean, people know I haven't been here because I've been busy, right? I've got my sixth kid. There's all kinds of stuff going on right now. It's just, it's been hard for me to be here. today, I almost wasn't here just because I was having a party about the indictment.
1: (laughs) An indictment party.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we should all have indictments. Every time. It's like drink a shot every time Trump gets indicted, but we I don't drink, so we're just gonna have a like a twenty five dollar popcorn party.
1: <laughs> um, actually, that would be great if we had if we had the you know because the trial is going to be televised. We should show that in theaters. Yes, that would a be a idea. huge money maker. Oh wow, <laughs> I like this
0: <laughs> We can have uh, what would. It- if they did indictment parties in theaters. What would they do? Seriously, they I think it's streaming. a great idea.
1: You're right. They would. They, stop. That would
0: shut the
1: broadcast right away. Well, I think the theater would be be. mostly. Could you fights would break out at the theater? (laughs) You'd have to have like one screen for uh, for uh, Trump haters and another screen for Trump supporters. (laughs) Like you're not going to want to mix these two unless (laughs) unless you're going to put that on a pay per view and stream that, and then that becomes the real show.
0: It's all sounding very fun to me. Yeah, I think I I get excited. I'm getting. I was thinking about it earlier. Today, and I was, I was. Remember, do you remember COVID?
1: Vaguely, yes, I do remember. Th- it was a, a a pandemic, right?
0: Right. And do you remember how life was before
1: COVID? Fondly, I remember what life was like before COVID,
0: and things changed, right? Yes. After COVID, yeah. I had a friend over for like a holiday dinner. I don't know. Maybe it was like a year or so after kind of COVID was winding down. And he said, he he put forth the question, you know, like knowing what you know now, would you rather COVID had never happened? Would you rather just go back to, you know, living in life before COVID? And, you know, my first instinct is like, yeah, of course, you know, it was horrible and it was really bad. But then we thought about the question for a minute, and I was like, "Actually, no. the re- The answer is no. I wouldn't go back because it was like COVID took the blinders off. You know, like it, 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 it. You saw the loss of freedom that came with COVID. Didn't really come with COVID. The loss of freedom was well before COVID happened. Right, COVID and exposed COVID it. Exposed it. It showed us how controllable we are and how much you know freedom and liberty we had lost. And and so when I thought about it in that way, I was like, no, actually, I think you know sometimes God works in interesting ways that we don't always see exactly how things are are panning out and uh, I do believe that everything God does works for good and that COVID despite certainly people had lost lives and there were many bad things. I mean, I had family members that were very sick from it. Um, You know, all of that was, is, was horrible, but seeing where things went after a lot of people were awake or woke to the reality of the situation. And I think now as I see these uh, indictments unfold, uh, seems like every other week now, it's kind of like, I'm like, would I like to go back to before, uh, I don't know, January 20th and January 6th and the election and all that stuff? You know, like, do I? would I rather have a legitimate election and a legitimate outcome of the election at that time. And Trump be the president right now. Well, yeah, but then I thought about it. I'm like, well, maybe not like how different would things be if, if we just had sort of a Trump victory and Trump won and he would be president right now. How, how, what kind of president would he be?
1: I'd be fine with that that would be just fine with me <laughs>
0: think about, think about it. What, what, cause remember all of the things about like about Trump where you're like, man, what is he? He's not getting it. Or he's got all these bad people around him. Or he, you know, clearly made a lot of mistakes around COVID and, and some other things trying to, you know, make deals and, uh, and work i think too closely with enemies there were a lot of mistakes i think they were mistakes i don't think they were intentional i think it was sort of a almost a a, na- a naivete you know about just really how bad things are within the government and with what had happened and having a coup and having him removed from office by the military, really, like, if you look back now, you, you really see how lost and how far gone this country is. It's not good but I think it's good to know the truth. So where are you
1: on, you know, like him uh, being sentenced to death? Are you <laughs> in, uh, a, that would open up a lot of eyes. The, is that, would that be a good outcome, a bad, bad outcome? What are you thinking?
0: No, I think I mean, I certainly don't want that to happen to him and I don't think it will happen to him, but I, but I, but as I thought about it, I, I wonder if, uh, if the things have that have transpired have not transpired, you know, I, I mean, basically, I wonder, is it going to, if, if, and I think it's a big if, but if he were to win again and become president again, would he be a different president? He would be. He cannot and win. would he... He can't. And would he really... And would he really take take it all down.
1: Uh, he probably would. May, but he can't, Jeremy, he, can't be, he can't win. It's rigged. He cannot win. He's being set up I'm to not, be the loser.
0: Now that's another thing I agree with. I think I, I thought about that today also. And I thought in why why do they keep indicting him? Why do they keep uh, you know why do they keep doing this when it seems to make him more popular? And my thought is that uh, they know that that it's rigged. It's going to be rigged again. It's going to be they they know how popular he is, and it's a big psyop. And you're going to be really excited about him being the nominee, and you're going to be really excited about him having a chance to get back in there. And he's going to be so wildly popular and he's going to have millions of people going to line up and listen to him, give the same speech over and over again. And nobody's going to go see Joe Biden. Or, whoever, or whoever the nominee is. Joe It's going to be Joe Biden and Joe Biden's <laughs> going to get more votes again. And you're going to be psychologically crushed. And I think that might be the real point of it all, why to build him, you know, why... Because, like, why? Why build him up?
1: Right. They need a plausible. Yeah. They need a plausible loser. The GOP wants this loss as well. They want. They want to hang the loss around Trump and around MAGA. They don't mind being the GOP establishment. Does not mind being the subservient party for however long it takes, so that they can say, "Look, this all happened because of MAGA, and never will that uh, uh, strain of thought." Uh, transgress our party again um, and that'll be the permanent minority ship for that party is my guess until until the memory yeah, so. fades uh, eventually the memory will fade but uh, yeah they, they it's, it's a contrived loss it's rigged again and uh, but I you know in my mind it has to be I want Trump to be the nominee and then you, everybody has to go out and vote for Trump make them cheat harder that is what will open eyes even more uh, I yeah. just can't believe they're gonna, there's going to be a mugshot. They're going to do a mugshot in, in Georgia. There's going to be a mugshot. That's going to be everywhere. And, and it's going to be a there's cameras in the courtroom. The, the most the, the biggest victim of this indictment is Ron DeSantis. He's the real challenger <laughs> for the nomination. And he's that's it. It's over for him. How's he going to compete with Trump being on trial on it's, television?
0: It's been over for him well, like, yeah, that guy. I know. It, I know. <laughs> yeah, it, anything it's giving him more false hope probably, but it, it's over, it's way over for him.
1: Did you see what happened to him at the Iowa State Fair?
0: Uh, what? This I think was, I might have seen this.
1: Oh yeah, well this I was cannot. This was brutal. He was at the Iowa State Fair. He's with the governor there, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, and she's doing something called uh, Fair Side Chats. So instead of Fireside Chats, it's Fair Side Chats. And here's just a, here's a clip from it.
4: First of all, welcome back to the State Fair, Ron. It's great to have you here, so welcome back. No,
2: it's great to be here. We're really <laughs> excited to see everybody. We appreciate uh, how nice everybody is. Uh- now,
1: I don't know if you can hear that in the background. What's happening there? But it is a uh, it's nonstop uh, heckling. They're blowing whistles. Um, Let me uh, here. I have a better. This is the 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 clip you're listening to. The first clip I played there just now. That is the feed coming from Kim Kim Reynolds. Okay, so you're hearing. The background is really dull. They've got you're hearing just the the microphones that they're holding, and these are good microphones, so it's it's isolating the audio pretty well.
0: We appreciate uh,
5: how nice but everybody is. But you can hear the background. Um, Great to be in the Midwest.
1: Now, here's a clip from somebody else. This is just a camera that was there, you know, someone's cell phone.
5: Everybody is um, great to be in the Midwest. I tell people normally when Cowbells. I do like Midwestern nights, nice, I just go to Fort Myers in January and I have half the Midwest there, uh, but we
3: love everybody that comes down down to-
1: So it's just a disaster. And he just, he just continues to go through like nothing's... Ha- she chastises... The audience,
2: when I want to do Midwestern nice, I just go to Fort Myers in January and I have half the Midwest there. Uh, but we love everybody that comes down to Florida, but particularly Southwest Florida from Iowa and other parts.
1: Um, and here's where she chastened. Let's see.
4: Thank you. Well, listen, good friend, former colleague, governor uh, from Florida, and uh, so I appreciate that, and appreciate the friendly competition. They're just pretending like so this isn't Ron's, happening uh, until out she there, stops. Uh, doing the ninety-nine county tour. Uh, I think you may be ahead of me. Hey, you know what? You know what? <laughs> we're in Iowa, and in Iowa, we're Iowa nice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron, you know, Ron is just so. She does something silly, and he does something silly. I'll play the rest of this.
4: So let's give everybody the opportunity to hear our candidates. So we'll stop. We'll stop until you do. But we're all going to have an opportunity to hear from each and every candidate. That's what we've been doing. So, okay. Okay. So you're doing the 99 County Tour.
1: <laughs> so she's just said, we're going to stop until until this stops. And then he immediately turns and starts with him again. So just they're losing. They're like losing control. They're they're out of sorts in the moment. And what Ron does, I think, is just politically unsavvy.
4: Okay, so you're doing the 99 county tour. I'm very competitive. I think you may be ahead of me. in Oh, so whoa, no. So tell me, you know, you're putting in a lot of miles. Talk to me about what you're hearing um, and seeing across Iowa. Well, I think what we're hearing is people
5: understand that our country's in decline.
1: No, what you're hearing are whistles and cowbells. <laughs> that's what you're hearing. I, to me this was just such a, a tone deaf, a politically ignorant moment.
4: Candidate, that's what we did.
1: You know, he could have he could have turned it into a, you know, uh uh, you know, a a, mo- a, a teachable moment about the heckler's veto. He could have, you know, he could have made it about, you know, Donald Trump being afraid of you hearing what I have to say. He could have uh, uh, turned this moment to his advantage any number of ways. And he doesn't. He chokes. He just he keeps going like it's not happening when everybody knows wow, that it's he, happening. It's uh, bizarre. He's a choker. He is a choker. Um, Did you read I saw
0: some? What's that? I saw a picture I saw some picture of an event he was doing somewhere at like some rodeo or something, and I thought the picture was you know how like the how media matters would always tweet out like a picture of a Trump rally and be like Trump rally is empty, you know, but it would be like seventeen hours before the event right so there's like you know there there would still be like a hundred people there seventeen hours early but they would say it's empty. Right, it looks then, like an empty course, room. They don't know it would fill up. So I thought that's what this was. It was a picture of a DeSantis event at like some rodeo or something somewhere. And, it, and, and it's like empty room, like DeSantis can't pull in anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this, this is one of those things. But I look and DeSantis is on stage. Right. I know what you're
1: talking about. And he's in that photo. He's a tiny little dot. But you do, you realize, yeah. oh my gosh, he's actually there. This is the event. There's no one there.
0: <laughs> like the, But he, he should have like, you know what he should try doing? He should have uh, hula hoops for people to sit in. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then oh, it couldn't oh hurt. this is why. Yeah, it's not
1: good. Not good. His his defenders, his defenders were out there on Twitter saying, "Well, he had been to fifty different events that day. He's doing small real politics. He's talking to small groups." Okay. Oh yeah, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, did you did you read the indictment that came down from Georgia?
6: Are you crazy? No
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I read the, I read, well, I didn't read the whole indictment. The indictment's 98 pages long. It's a crazy indictment. And I, uh, I decided that it, uh, there was no, I had no prayer of understanding it myself. And I, I arranged for a legal expert to join us to Tell us to help us understand uh, what is going on in this indictment. However, before we do that, I have a couple of follow-up items that I want to that I want to just get to real briefly. Um, Hawaii. I don't know if you've been following Hawaii. Major disaster in Maui.
0: And do you I c- want to know something? What's that? I haven't been following Hawaii. Are you aware that it but- happens though? Yeah, because I listened to you host the show by yourself.
1: You're listening.
0: And, Aww. and you were you were great. It was great coverage. Oh. Well, thank and you I very much. I feel like I kind of know what's going on in Hawaii now.
1: Uh the the electrical down the downed electrical line is becoming sort of front and center in the story. I I don't have a clip of it today, but uh I, I did see a story just before we started recording where it was. Um, uh, they had footage of the downed power lines, and the and the controversy is that they didn't they didn't uh, take the power off of these lines when they knew that they had. Uh, there was enough of a wind emergency. They were so concerned about the wind and the storm connected to it that they had sent children home from school. So, the system knew that there was a major concern, but they didn't shut off the power on these power lines. The power lines went down and lit the grass on fire and that was uh and that was right downtown, basically it looked like it's not often like a you know some heavily wooded area. It was happening right on a boulevard it, it, basically, it's a tremendous amount of ineptness going on there. And, yeah, I was very suspicious right away because the narrative was uniform and went out everywhere. This was a wildfire. This was a wildfire. And, and just in my opinion, I guess maybe at some point it becomes a wildfire because of complete
0: ineptitude. Well, I was uh, saying As I'm listening to you, I'm like, it is. It's a wildfire. It's, <laughs> it's really wild. <laughs>
1: Right. But isn't the implication isn't the implication that a wildfire is naturally occurring like a wildfire occurs wildly. It's natural.
0: Yeah. I think that's what people think when they say it, or at least that's what they mean. Yeah. But it certainly does come at some. I mean, those fires in Canada, I don't like to call them wildfires. I like to call them arson. Right. But at some point they are wildfires.
1: A lot did not go right here. And people are beginning to be upset. This is from Deutsche Welle. I'm looking to foreign news outlets to get a better angle on this because our news outlets are so polluted.
0: So, unfortunately, Hawaii was caught flat-footed. The lieutenant governor, who was in charge at the time because the governor was out of the state, has said Hawaii was so very unprepared for this. The two lead officials that would have led the led the evacuation were also off-island at the time. So there was a real absence of leadership and to the point that there were no sirens. Hawaii has a very well-developed early warning system when it comes to you know, threats from tsunamis or other storms. The sirens that most people would have listened to and led to the evacuation weren't sounded in Lahaina.
1: So, yeah, that's that's devastating. Not only did they not turn the power off on these lines, they didn't none of the sirens went off which is kind of interesting they, it's not as though the power was down and so you couldn't hear the sirens the power was up and it was causing the fire or spreading it
6: criticism of the emergency response is beginning to emerge yeah I've pretty much
2: everybody's saying the same thing, that we had no warning, no uh, evacuation notice. So a lot of people were not prepared, you know, that by the time they find out that it was time to go, they, it was almost too late. You know, they, a lot of people got trapped, and it's just really sad.
1: Yeah, so I, people are beginning to catch on to what it is that's happening here. This was... This was not an act of nature. This is human failure. And just to hit it home, last clip from Deutsche Welle.
0: But we're finding out that so many reports have been made already that Hawaii really was in a huge danger for wildfires. But sadly, those reports weren't heeded.
1: So, yeah, I think the early reports of it's a wildfire and it's, you know, I think that's all there. That's the media going into protection mode for their Democrat uh, allies they Democrat patrons. Um, and I wanted to follow up on Niger. Niger. This is very interesting. Uh, Did Niger. you
0: settle on a uh, jingle? For Niger? Oh, gosh, you're right. That's right. Yeah, here. Yeah, you were It's our Africa update. What's that? Was the I I thought you made me laugh. I was there was something you said that was funny, and uh, it was when you played the other jingle, and then that—that's right. This is the we're at the uh, the Jockey Club in
1: Niger. Yeah, Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Yeah, I laughed. Well, which do you gravitate towards? Do you to the Jockey Club or are you in the bush?
0: I. Yeah, I like the Bush. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: welcome to the Africa update. Yes, Nigeria, where uh, they have now decided to give the uh, deposed president the Trump
6: treatment. Now, Niger's coup leaders say they'll try uh, ousted President Mohamed Bouzoum for high treason and undermining the country's security. President Bazoum has been confined to his official residence since being deposed by the military last month. The government has gathered the necessary evidence to prosecute the ousted president and his accomplices
0: for high treason and undermining the internal and external security of Niger. Following his exchanges with foreign heads of state and international organizations,
1: Les chefs d'État étrangers. Which foreign heads of state do you think they're talking about? Mm. <laughs> the United States, maybe a little bit. Mm. I so they're I they're going to try them. I could not get to the State Department press briefing fast enough (laughs) to hear them condemn that kind of barbaric behavior.
7: The, uh, the military rulers have said that they're going to try former President Bazoom. Um, do you have any reaction to that? And do you have any, um, any update on further contact uh, from this building with President Bazoom?
8: Sure, Sean. So uh, first, let me just say we are uh, incredibly dismayed by the reports that uh, President Bazoom's uh, unjust detention has uh, gone an even step further and now that the the CNSP is uh, threatening prosecution uh, this action (laughs) is uh, completely unwarranted and unjustified and candidly it will not contribute to a peaceful resolution of this crisis
1: gee what does that tell you about the kind (laughs) of resolution they're expecting here in the United States yeah
8: Um, It is a further affront, in our opinion, to democracy and justice and to the respect of the rule of law. Uh, And a threat like this underscores the urgency of uh, respecting uh, the constitutional order in Niger.
1: (laughs) That was too good. I couldn't pass that up. (laughs) I mean, oh, my people have a word for that. It's called chutzpah. (laughs) <laughs> uh but in the last episode you may remember that my premise this the suggestion i was making was that you know i wouldn't be surprised if well let's put it this way gee it seems like macron's having an awful lot of bad luck big run of bad luck ever since he went and kissed the ring of g at the same time that the united states is trying to isolate g uh, right? All of a sudden, he has these massive riots in his in his country. And now he's losing all of his African, his West African states. When you listen to all of the when you listen to all the representatives of the junta, they're all speaking French. So Weirdly. Ever since Macron ups- uh, did something that could arguably upset the CIA, <laughs> he's been having a rough go. And so I made the suggestion, gee, you know, is it possible? It wouldn't be the first time that our CIA worked with our enemies, uh, d- empowered our enemies for, to, to further our own domestic goals. And if our domestic goal was to punish Macron, boy, are we doing it. And I found a clip that kind of made me think I might be right. This is from France 24.
6: And it seems from diplomatic sources that we've been speaking to that France and the U.S. are not exactly on the same page here. France has come out publicly uh, and also behind the scenes diplomats saying that they're they're prepared to logistically support any ECOWAS military intervention. The U.S. approach has been one of uh, trying also to pursue dialogue. So we had that very high profile visit from the Assistant Secretary of State, the number two. U.S. diplomat Victoria Nuland who flew into Niger to hold talks with a member of the Junta. Now French diplomats here have been telling our team that they uh, thought that approach was somewhat unwise and indeed it did turn out to be unfruitful. And again, according to our diplomatic sources, we gather that the U.S. State Department could be planning to mount more high-profile dialogue missions to Niger uh, in the coming days or perhaps Weeks
3: <laughs> yeah, well,
1: <laughs> yeah, I bet France is a little bit dismayed that we are not taking the hard line. We're having dialogue. And when Victoria Newland flies in to talk to the Junta, that kind of that really makes me think, yeah, the Junta is working that they, they we help them do this. they are guys. I don't know. Just my thought. <laughs> Well, (laughs) you just leave me there.
0: (laughs) I haven't followed it that well.
1: Well, it certainly seems like there is daylight between, between, uh, between France and the United States. We're not showing a united front with France. Much like they did not show a united front with us, with G. So, at this point, it's going to take convincing to, to make me believe that this is not the CIA that did this. I mean, think about it. it. It creates a lot of great environment, a lot of great opportunities for the CIA and for our military. It's going to create a lot of pretext for intervention down the road.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be the the desired outcome, right? Mm-hmm. More war. More war. Or more policing,
1: uh, more arms sales. <laughs> that's the that's the big thing. All right, so uh, Ukraine. This is my last. This is my last update. Uh, yeah, it, this is just a disaster in Ukraine. the The spring offensive is now becoming the spring retreat, or is becoming the summer retreat.
6: Ukrainian authorities say more than 100,000 Russian soldiers and 900 tanks are increasingly attacking, trying to retake Kupiansk and its surrounding areas. Ukraine recaptured the city from Russian forces last September. It's very dangerous because the other side has accumulated a lot of ammunition to attack,
1: a lot of artillery in a few months, that's why people leave
6: volunteers are going from village to village persuading people to leave not much convincing is needed escaping nearly daily shelling and a possible second russian occupation people leave behind everything once again the joy when ukrainian forces recaptured this area has now been replaced by fear
1: and that was al jazeera giving an honest report that i couldn't find in our media And here's, this is just what, I have one more clip from Ukraine. Maybe this has something to do with why they're faltering in their uh, brilliant offensive.
8: Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says he's fired all of his regional recruitment chiefs, citing corruption concerns. The officials in charge of enlisting soldiers have been accused of accepting cash bribes from individuals who wanted to avoid conscription.
1: Hmm. (laughs) That's great we're sending them billions and billions of dollars and the regional recruiters are taking bribes for people who don't want to serve. Uh, and did you catch? They didn't fire a couple. They didn't fire a few. They fired
0: all of them. Ukraine, everybody. Well, I, think, I think we need to send them more money. <laughs>
1: Clearly. We have to outbid <laughs> the people who are trying to get out of service.
0: Yeah, I mean if they're if they're getting bribed, how much are they getting bribed with? We're sending billions. Maybe right. we're sending billions to the bribers. Well, I mean, does anyone know where it's going? I, Maybe we're funding both sides. I'll
1: tell you what, it, it ain't going to the right place because it should be coming to us. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached that point in the podcast where we get to tell you how it is we do business here, why it is you haven't heard a single ad, even though we have an amazing segment coming up, a special guest, a legal scholar, a brilliant mind who is going to help us understand the fourth Trump indictment, although I have to say... I don't get the sense that he's a, uh, a major Trump supporter at this point. So people just, uh, you know, you're, you, you, you listen to what he has to say. I think he's got a lot of great stuff to say. But you're not paying for this. You're getting it for free. All of this content is free to you. We use what's called the value for value model. It's very simple. If you feel like you're getting value out of this podcast, we ask you to return value to the podcast. Jeremy, how can people return value to
0: this podcast? Share the show. That you is. To, yeah. Yeah. If you don't share it and you know who you are, I'm talking to you. If you don't share the show, I'm going to take two more weeks off.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I expect to see shares pop after this episode. Uh yes, sharing the show is the is really one of the most important things you can do and sending us content, sending us links, sending us links to stories, links to videos, links to things that are interesting to you and if you send a link, this I can't stress this enough. Please include a comment from you as to why you think it is important. I appreciate it when you send me a link to a story, but I I really want to know why you think it's important. So send a comment included with your content, but I really do want to thank people for sending stuff. A lot of uh, great content's been coming in uh, from Alan Joliet, from uh, Janice in Arizona, from a whole slew of people. Uh, So thank you very much. And and, uh, in fact, we'd be getting to some of that content today, except for the special guest that we have. Um, So if you uh, want to send content, send a link, send a uh, a comment, how we're doing, t- uh, how much you miss Jeremy. Uh, uh, how, how, maybe somebody wants to audition for Jeremy's seat when he's not here. Not that he could ever be replaced, uh, but, you know, whatever. Send it. Uh, send us, to drop us a line at truth at truthbait.com. That's truth at truthbait.com. I'll say it a third time because they say you have to say it three times for it to really sink in. Truth at truthbait.com. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, we have a very special guest. Jeremy, you didn't even have time to look at the indictment. I looked at the indictment, like I said, and right away to me, it looks insane. But I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know. Uh, uh, And in the interview that you're going to hear from this brilliant scholar, uh, I learned a few things. uh, And I I think our listeners will, too. Um,
0: The interview, it's a great, it it was, it's very interesting insight um, just from a, from a professional legal uh, view and the, uh, can I say who the interview was with? Here, let's do this. From... Bill Jacobson, he is uh, the proprietor of legal insurrection, and he's an f- old friend of both you and I, and uh, I know him through executive producer Anne. and he's a very intelligent legal mind, and um, I think his analysis and insights are very helpful um, and very helpful with uh, not getting, uh, you know, not buying into some of the hype stories that are out there. Um, I do disagree with some of his political analysis. I think his legal analysis is spot on. Uh, he he has some views about um, the Trump election that I think I see it a little bit differently than he does um but i think overall the interview is excellent and you did a great job well
1: thank you very much jeremy he really uh he knows his stuff um all i did was ask the questions that i'm hoping that everybody has uh uh, I, i really do uh uh hope that uh, we can have him again and that you'll be able to join us for uh, for that interview as well, because I know you would have some excellent questions as well. Do you want to hear what uh, the brave AI summarizer has to say about William Jacobson? This is if you're using the brave browser, which everybody should use the brave browser. Uh, uh, They have a summarizer. It says William A. Jacobson is a clinical professor of law and director of the securities law clinic at Cornell Law School. He has a national reputation as a leading practitioner in securities arbitration and was treasurer and a former member of the executive committee and board of directors of the Public Investors Arbitration Bar Association. Jacobson is a 1981 Summa Cum Laude graduate of Hamilton College and received his JD degree in 1984 from Harvard Law School. We won't hold that against him. <laughs> before, joining, before joining the Cornell Law Faculty in 2007, he practiced law in New York City and Providence, Rhode Island. And, uh, and that, so that's the end of the summarizer, uh, which is, I think, all factually true. Uh, he, Andy,
0: what's that? You know what they're leaving out? Is and where people may know him by a little bit is do you that uh was it a was it a, a bakery or something at Overton, yeah, Oberlin, Oberlin College? And they had uh
1: they had yeah, there was it was a huge national story, they uh slandered a local bakery as racist. And the local bakery had been there for uh, generations. Uh, the, the stress of all of this uh, ended up uh, the the patriarch of the family ended up dying in the middle of the lawsuits. They were just devastated. They had a huge, you know, really long standing relationship with the town and with the school, and suddenly the school was calling them racist, and it was totally unfounded, and and it was a disaster. And they uh, ended up going to court. The, it was a gigantic judgment. I think thirty-six million dollars against the university. Think, yep. Yeah. They they appealed yeah. and, uh, well, the, and and lost
0: and. Uh, uh, but the and, reason it's a, it's such a big story is is Bill Jacobson really drove the coverage of that uh, that whole affair and especially the lawsuit um, covering it. On his website, so people might be familiar with that story that was a big one that was um, somewhat recent yeah he uh, also
1: had a a, a pretty uh, uh, well known story not as big as the Oberlin College one, but uh, where there was a a radical Palestinian that was scheduled to come in and and give some i guess book reading to a kindergarten group. And he's the one who outed that uh, situation and really led the charge to uh, prevent that from happening. So he's, you know, he is a warrior. Not as many people know about him uh, or his work because he's not as flashy. He doesn't have sensational headlines. He, you know, he just is nose to the grindstone, works these really important stories and, uh, and covers them um, in a way that does bring them the attention that they deserve. Uh, so yeah i nope. I immediately thought okay well this is this is who we need to talk
0: yeah. to i don 't think he does a lot of media, so that was a it was a huge get um,
1: yeah, I think he had some media hits today, uh so he was hard to get uh, uh, but he made time for us, uh, which was very generous and he spent he spent i uh, you know almost an hour uh talking about this and the other indictments and it was a really fascinating discussion, and I think that our, our listeners, our producers are going to enjoy his perspective. Even if you don't agree with all of it, uh, or if you do agree with all of it, I think you're still, going to, you're still going to enjoy what he has to say, and I think you're going to be
0: more informed
1: by what he has to say, especially oh, on the legal without, elements.
0: Legal analysis is, is spot on. I think it's excellent and important to listen to.
1: All right, well, without further delay... Here is Professor William Jacobson. Professor Jacobson, welcome to the podcast.
5: Thank you for having me on.
1: Wait, you have to be, our studio audience is very excited. So, (laughs) yes, calm down, everybody. (laughs) Professor, very good to have you. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Professor. We need a legal scholar here. We need someone with a legal mind. I went to film school. I have all of the legal acumen of, uh, of a key grip <laughs> or of a production assistant. I, I'm looking. I pulled up this indictment, uh, Donald Trump's fourth indictment, the one in Georgia that just dropped uh, late last night. Everybody looking at it early this morning. I, this document is incredible. Uh, Have you had a chance to read through this thing? It's enormous. I did read through it. I can't say I've
5: memorized it, so don't ask me what paragraph 163 (laughs) said. (laughs) But uh, I have read through it, and it's long. It's almost 100 pages. Uh, It's fairly repetitive, and it really attempts to tell a story about Trump and his associates trying to undermine the results of the 2020 election. The question is, does it show any illegal attempts to do so? Uh, and, And that's really, I think, the challenge. That's the challenge in the D.C. case as well, that a lot, not necessarily all, but a lot of the accusations are what we think of as normal, somewhat sleazy political behavior. Things Politicians lie. Who would have thought, Hmm. you know, that they don't normally get uh, prosecuted for it? Uh, Politicians try to convince other politicians to do stuff. Uh, That's normally not illegal. That's what politicians do. Citizens try to convince the government to change its mind about things. That's normally not illegal. Uh, So really the question, I think, for all of these things, are the prosecutors criminalizing politics and i think to a large extent the answer is yes that what they're saying is that lobbying your government um or petitioning your government for redress is what the constitution calls it um, right the first amendment is somehow now criminal uh, that expressing views that people disagree with is somehow now criminal And so that's what this indictment does. It takes a hundred pages of these allegations. Now, some of the allegations are very distinct and could be crimes, could clearly be crimes standing on their own, but they're not really implicating Donald Trump himself, like somebody supposedly tried to gain improper access to a computer system. Assuming they can prove that, then that's a crime. That could have been charged two years ago. They didn't need to wait till now. Um, Somebody apparently impersonated a public official. Uh, That is a crime. That could have been prosecuted separately two years ago. But that's not the main part of what this indictment is. The main part is a racketeering, influenced, and corrupt organization act, so-called RICO, charge, which takes hundreds of paragraphs of behavior, Almost all of which standing alone would be lawful, and because it supposedly had the purpose of unlawfully unwinding the election results, now turns it into a grand conspiracy. And that's what this out in indictment basically is, is that Trump and associates engaged in conduct, most of which was not itself criminal, but for a criminal purpose.
1: How do they define that when you look through the document and a lot of people are talking about this uh, because Matt Gaetz, uh he made a point about this. And in fact, here, let, let me let me play. Let me play the Matt Gates clip if I have it. Yeah, here's the Matt Gates clip. This was Matt Gates on Fox News, and he was talking about how it seems as though they are they criminalized. A, tw- a tweet. Uh, let me play the clip and you can tell me what he's talking about.
0: Act 22 in the indictment alleges that on December
1: 23rd, President Trump pe- told people to watch One America News Network. Now, I know they're your competitor, but I think we would all agree that watching One America News shouldn't be a crime. That, 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 that asserting that as criminal, uh, I think, points to how blatantly political this endeavor is. Uh, yeah he was on newsmax um yeah
5: no well he's wrong he's wrong about that okay he and many people are just flat out wrong there's two distinct pieces if you will to this indictment one is the rico count the rico count alleges a conspiracy to unlawfully overturn the election as part of a rico charge you have to show what are called um acts in furtherance of the conspiracy Not every one of those acts needs to be in and of itself illegal. So when they have in here, I forget what paragraph number it is, but it's the first at least several dozen paragraphs um, under count one, Uh, they show a lot of actions that various members of the conspiracy took as supporting the conspiracy that doesn't mean that each of those individual actions is charged as a separate crime and if i'm i don't i remember vaguely the paragraph he's referring to that's not a separate count in the indictment that's not a separate criminal charge that is just alleging that one of the acts and furtherance of the conspiracy was directing people to watch a program on tv that apparently was claiming the election was fraudulent. Uh, It it, in and of itself is not criminal. It's not alleged to be criminal. And a lot of people, either through ignorance or deliberate deception, are taking the RICO charges and the RICO actions in furtherance of the conspiracy and acting like each one of those is charged as a crime. And and that's not true. Now, I'm not supportive of this RICO conspiracy theory theory, you know prosecution, but it's also important that we not deceive people and that we not make them think the the indictment is something that it's not.
1: Okay, so and just to, to clear up for people, people should go and look at this indictment. Uh, it's up on legalinsurrection dot com. We'll also have it in the show notes. Uh, the, the The indictment is forty one counts. Correct me if I'm wrong. Count one is the one that is that deals with the RICO. Uh, component. Is that correct? Yes.
5: Count, and count one is the one, and I, and I just don't remember. I do have this in front of me. Count one is about 50 pages long.
1: Right. It okay. has a number so, of acts, like 129, 100 and something. I, I, I don't know the yeah. exact number, but it's a tremendous amount of, uh, it's the acts, and I think that's what, what uh, Matt Act Gates was talking about.
5: furtherance of the conspiracy, and that's important legally. Uh, And one of the reasons I don't like conspiracy charges and one of the reasons I don't like this RICO one is that if you are part of the conspiracy and if you take actions to further the conspiracy, if the conspiracy is unlawful, you're now responsible for everything that everybody did. And that's why it's such a dangerous sort of thing to do. The history of RICO statutes, it started with the federal RICO, which is much more limited than the Georgia RICO. The federal RICO was, I think it was the early 70s when it was enacted, it was targeting mob bosses. It was meant to hold um, mob families, particularly the senior-most people, responsible for the actions of the organization because what they would do is they would, you know, the, the mob boss would never shoot anybody himself. He'd never walk into the liquor store and strong on them, arm them for protection money. But he was part of a conspiracy to do those things, um, and he had his underlings do it. So the RICO statute at the federal level is much more limited. It, you have to have what are called predicate acts that include the things you would expect with the mob kidnapping, extortion bribery, murder, things like that. Uh, And and so that was the purpose of RICO. It was meant to hold people who distanced themselves from the crimes of the organization, responsible for the crimes of the organization. But there's nothing in the federal statute that actually limits it to the mob, to the mafia. Uh, And in fact, the RICO statute has been used against politicians the one I'm most familiar with was mayor, former Providence mayor, now deceased, uh, Buddy Cianci. Buddy Cianci was a very flamboyant for people who don't know him. He was a character. Okay? He really was a character. He did great things for the city, but he was accused of running the city the way a mob boss would run the mob. And so they brought Buddy Cianci up on RICO charges because they had on videotape his underlings taking bribes and they charged all the underlings and they charged him. He was charged with 22 counts, one of which was Rico, but they had nothing on him because he always made sure to keep two or three people between him and the bad conduct, the criminal conduct. So 22 counts, he got found not guilty of 21. They just didn't have him on tape taking the money and they couldn't prove he got the money because it was all cash. And the one he was convicted of was Rico. He was convicted of running a criminal enterprise. And that's the key phrase enterprise. Um, That criminal enterprise being Providence City Hall. And that's what he was convicted. Mm -hmm. He served four or five years in prison for it. And so that's what they're using, in a sense, to go after Trump, but they're using the Georgia version, the state version, which is much broader. It's not limited to things like uh, kidnapping and murder and extortion. It includes things like impersonating a public official. It includes things like making false statements to public officials. It includes, you know, other things that they allege the scheme to overturn the election, you know, included. So Georgia is much broader than the federal one, and therefore uh, it could hold Donald Trump accountable, even if they don't have him doing a crime. It could hold him accountable for what his group did to try to overturn the election. And so that's, you know, it's very dangerous. But it also could hold responsible what these 18 other people did if they were part of the criminal enterprise the enterprise doesn't have to be a company doesn't have to have offices it's people acting together like the mob for a common purpose and so it can hold some of these people liable under that rico theory even if they themselves individually did nothing wrong if they took actions to further the conspiracy and that's why you have 50 pages of act in furtherance of the conspiracy as part of the RICO count, even though no single one of those was actually a crime.
1: Right, it's 161 acts and I think that there are something there's about thirteen different tweets that are specifically referenced uh, among the acts.
5: Okay. So But but I I, I do think that, you know, while Matt Gates is wrong the way he phrased it, I do think this raises a lot of concerns that constitutionally protected speech in and of itself, violates no law, is now being used to support a RICO claim. I mean, at yeah.
1: Some what's point the premise of have the to crime?
5: Whether you can do that, you
1: know. What's the What's the premise here of the crime that there that he has committed that creates a RICO uh, environment in the first place? Uh,
5: the- it, it's what they call unlawfully overturning the election.
1: So don't they have to assume, then, that he knows he's lost the election? Are they, they? Don't they have to interpret what he... Don't they have to divine what he knows internally?
5: Uh, that I, I don't know whether that sort of knowledge and intent is required. I, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't want to speculate on it. But obviously, that's going to be one of the defenses, is that he actually believed the election was stolen. Okay. He did not think he was doing anything corrupt. Now there apparently is evidence that he did know, you know, uh, that what he was saying was false. I think in the federal case, they claim to have either conversations or emails or text messages or something, uh, involving him where he acknowledged that some of these things were not provable. Um, so that's an issue, whether they can prove that he was lying about it. But uh, that's an interesting question that I don't know the answer to. whether somebody subjectively, honestly believing what they're saying is truthful, could be considered a you know unlawful uh, and, and the court's going to have to decide that, but also it's an evidentiary matter. whether, you know, it is they have things or they have testimony. They have people who've maybe turned on him already that we don't know about, mm-hmm. who will say, yeah, you know, he admitted to me he knew this was all BS, you know. I don't, I'm not saying there is such testimony, but I'm saying if they have those sort of things, then they might, then that would obviously, you know, do away with any defense like that.
1: What if, uh, it also seems going through this uh, indictment that the, the premise is that there was no fraud, that the... But well, they're not saying that there's zero fraud. But they're saying that that the election was f- was a free and fair election is is substantially fraud-free. Uh, but is that the case? And I'm I'm going to play a clip that's from uh, your it's up on your website right now. Uh, a post by uh, Mary Chastain. Um, she has a clip up from Kyle Becker. And it's this one is from uh, it's Tucker Carlson. I'm just going to play the first minute or so, and then and then we'll 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 talk about it.
2: It now appears there actually was meaningful voter fraud in Fulton County, Georgia, last November. That is not a conspiracy theory. It's true. From the beginning, this show has tried to be fact based when we talk about the 2020 election results. So here's what we know tonight factually. At least 36 batches of mail-in ballots from the November election were double counted in Fulton County. That's a total of more than 4,000 votes. Those numbers come from a group called Voter GA, which, along with Bob Cheely, sued to get them. The final tally from the double counts we know about amounts to more than 3,300 votes for Joe Biden and 865 votes for Donald Trump. Now, before you dismiss Bob Cheely and Voter GA as dishonest partisan actors... Keep in mind that the strongly left of center Atlanta Journal Constitution appears to agree with this, at least in outline. The newspaper reviewed the available digital ballot images independently and concluded that hundreds of ballots were improperly duplicated. What does that look like exactly? Well, here's what it looks like. At a press conference yesterday, a consultant with Voter GA called David Cross showed how we can be certain that votes in Fulton County were counted more than once. Watch.
1: I'm going to stop it there because if I don't, we're it's a clip inside of a clip, and <laughs> that'll become too confusing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there w- was there fraud in Georgia. Do you know? And if so, does it that, does that undermine the Georgia DA case? Uh, and it, I guess what I'm really getting at is, does this case give Donald Trump the opportunity to actually put voter fraud on trial in Georgia?
5: Well, I think he could defend it that way, if he can prove it. I'm not sure that that Tucker Carlson clip proves it. See, the problem has always been people raise a lot of questions. And um, none of, but raising a question and saying, well, how could this happen? What happened? You know, there were a lot of claims that were proven to not be true about fraud. Each one of these things, takes an enormous amount of time to track down because you're asking somebody to prove a negative. So there were all the claims that dominated the news for days, if not weeks, about a woman in the Atlanta uh, office. And there was video. And she's pulling suitcases out from under a table. Mm -hmm. And aha, this is now the proof. And then she opens them and starts feeding the ballots through the machine. Aha, look, they stuffed the ballots. Well, it turns out that's not true, took a lot of investigation, turns out it's not true, those were not just like suitcases she brought into the building, those were, you know, suitcase looking um, storage things where the elections board actually, you know, stored their ballots before they were fed into the machine, so something, so It's so easy to raise questions.
1: Well, let me me, me push back on that one.
5: Ruby, Ruby, whatever her name is, Freeman, I think it is. So what I'm saying is, if Donald Trump can prove that the claims he made to officials were not lies, therefore, he can prove that he did not make those false statements. But in the indictment, they don't say the election was free from any fraud, because as we know, fraud takes place in every election, almost everywhere. Uh, but they attribute very specific claims to him, where he made very specific representations to government officials and others about specific fraud. And they say those were lies. Now, yes, the prosecution's going to have to prove that those were not true. And if he can come in and he can prove, you know, these 10 statements that I made that I'm being charged with making false statements to government were actually accurate, yes, yeah, he can defend it that way, absolutely.
1: Um. The uh, With the ballots being brought out in the in what were originally described as suitcases, you know, when I hear that the back and forth on that particular point, to me, the suitcases are a red herring. Uh, they were described as suitcases. Okay, they're not suitcases. They're the ballot cases that they came in. But that still doesn't answer the question of why did they then go through and run those through the machine, what appeared to be more than once, and why were they doing it after they had closed up shop and told everyone to go away? Like there's so much suspicious behavior in that action that gets, you know, just sort of swept away by the fact that it wasn't a, 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 it wasn't a suitcase. It was the ballot cases.
5: No, but you know, I I think that particular incident has been pretty thoroughly investigated, but if he can come in and he can say Ruby, whatever her name was, you know, did commit fraud. If he can prove that, then Mm -hmm. yeah, that's an absolute defense, you know, if because they're claiming that he made false statements about that. The prosecution has to prove that those are false statements. They're going to probably have to call her as a witness. They're going to probably have to call. remember, this is just an indictment. These are just allegations. The indictment is not evidence. So each of these things, they're going to have to come in and prove. And if he can prove that his statements about those boxes or suitcases were true, then, yeah, it's an absolute defense. He will get his opportunity to prove his defense uh, in court. So, yeah, if he can do that, all I'm saying is that, you know, I face this in many things unrelated to this election. People will raise questions. And then because you can't refute the questions they've raised, they say that's proof that it happened. I I faced this when I wrote about the uh, natural born citizen test which is the test as to whether somebody under the constitution can run for president, can be president. You have to be a natural born citizen. Natural born citizen is not defined in the constitution. So I did an enormous amount of research on it, the history of it, how it came about. And, you know, because it involved Obama and involved other people that, you know, people would come up with these crackpot series about things, these crackpot statements, each one of them, Took me hours to track down to prove it wasn't true. And by the time you've proven what they claim about some some you know uh, history, British history, British legal history that gave meaning to the by the time you prove that what they're claiming is not true, they're already onto the next allegation. Mm-hmm. It's a never ending circle. And so you know the 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 Georgia people and the Fed, they're going to have to prove their case. They're going to have to prove he made these statements and they, they have to prove that the statements were false. Mm. It's the burden is not on him to prove that the statements were true. Although that would be a defense if he's able to do it. All I'm saying is raising questions. is a familiar attack that I'm very familiar with. And it's very frustrating because people, an endless series of negatives that they're asking you to prove, prove that she didn't do this, prove that she didn't do that. Well, that's when the trial, that'll be done in the trial. And if he's got proof that there was, major, that there was fraud, not any fraud, but that the, the statements attributed to him were true, then absolutely it's a defense. And if he can prove it, good for him. I hope he can prove it. But, uh, you know, so far it doesn't seem like anyone has proven uh, dispositive fraud they've raised questions, but raising questions is not the same as proving it. Uh,
1: Well, what could happen here? Uh, Is there any chance that this could be dismissed? That this, you know, is is it in the right venue? Is this a federal case? You know, what could happen here? Could this go to the Supreme Court?
5: Well, so it's in Georgia trial court now. And uh, I did see earlier today... Uh, something where apparently Trump's lawyers are looking at um, trying to get it into federal court under a theory that I was not familiar with, so I can't say whether it's valid or not. Apparently there is a federal law that allows a public official, a federal public official, to move from state court to federal court any court cases involving their official conduct i'm not familiar with it and so the argument would be that these were all actions taken while he was president and that he has the right to have those heard in federal court i think the problem might be is that he's no longer president and may while he may and the theory behind the statute is if you're president you can't leave yourself subjected to things like local prosecutors and local officials who are just going to litigate you to death while you're president. You'll never be able to do your job. Problem is he's no longer president. So I don't know. So that's one way I've heard floated. He's going to try to get this to federal court. The interesting thing is it would be in federal court, but it would still be the underlying state charges. Uh, and so that's one way. Otherwise it's staying in Georgia state court. There is uh, no, way that i see for him until the trial is over to get a federal court involved much less a georgia appeals court involved to rule on it you know norm and much less the supreme court i mean the supreme court does not micromanage trials it gets involved almost exclusively when there is an appealable order or judgment from a trial court which in a criminal case normally would come with a verdict and it works its way up through the appellate system so the supreme court may get involved down the road after there is a verdict after it's appealed through the georgia court system and then you can try you can under the law go from a state Supreme court to the U S Supreme court. They don't have to take the case, but that is an avenue. But you know, we're talking years from now, right? Okay, this, this is a trial, which already has 18 defendants, all these counts, it's going to be a several month long trial uh, at least. So, uh, so yeah. And, and the problem is when you have these cases brought under flimsy legal theories, Unless the trial court judge tosses them, you have to go through the whole process. The process is the punishment. Uh, Bob McDonald, the former governor of Virginia, was charged by the feds, in fact, charged by Jack Smith, the person prosecuting Trump in Miami and DC, for a novel um, extension of the fraud laws, the anti-fraud laws, um, for uh, receiving gifts. I think some people gave his wife some jewelry or something like that, and that was uh, a doctrine which is a judicial doctrine called you know, dishonest services, that dishonest services is defrauding the government. Uh, and it was not always, it was not really, and the Supreme Court had never ruled on it. It was a, 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 an aggressive extension of the anti-fraud laws. And he was convicted, and it worked its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court reversed and threw out the conviction. Said, This is not, you've, you've convicted of, of something that's not actually a crime mm. under an aggressive extension of it. But you know what? That was several years later. Bob McDonald lost his chance to run for president. Mm-hmm. He was one of those quote unquote moderate Republicans who a lot of people were touting as a, a presidential contender. And, and that's the problem here. These prosecutors have waited till an election year to bring these charges. In the Manhattan indictment for the bookkeeping violation that they've, under a novel theory, have turned into a felony, um, those are that's conduct from seven years ago. Why is it being brought? Why is that being filed in 2023? Seven-year-old alleged crime. Uh, the case in D.C. and the Georgia case, both involved conduct that mostly took place in November and December of 2020 and the first part of January 2021. We're approaching three years on that. Why did they wait until now to bring these charges? They could have easily brought this a year or two ago. If they brought this a year ago. We would have had the trial by now. We would have known the verdict. We would have known whether Trump could prove that there was election fraud in Georgia. We're not gonna know as we head into the primaries, much less the general election, assuming he's the nominee. Uh, and, and that's such a, a massive interference in our political process. The only one that you could make an argument is not untimely is the Miami case. That's the, the you know National Security Documents case and the obstruction of justice case, because that conduct allegedly took place a year ago, basically. Uh, could they have brought it sooner? Maybe, maybe not, but at least they didn't sit around for three years or seven years waiting. Uh, so, you know, these cases involving the election are are really being brought at a time that is a complete interference in the election. I didn't originally think this way, uh, but I'm thinking these should be put off to after the election. You know, uh, It's not ideal. I think voters should know what the proof is against Trump or the lack of proof against Trump. But how are you going to do this during the primary season? It's ridiculous. So, uh, you know, that's another problem here that put aside that they're using fairly novel and aggressive extensions of legal theories to go after people.
1: I mean, it seems like they want him to win the nomination because every time they indict him, his support solidifies, and people come off the fence. People more and more people open their eyes and realize that this is a political prosecution that's happening, and they don't like it. Uh, uh, and in fact, I kind of wonder, you know, a Trump with a televised trial might that might be the best commercial he's ever had. They're giving him a, they're giving him a giant free commercial. Uh, could this all benefit him?
5: Yeah, well, you know, that, that's been my theory all along and I've expressed it many times, is that this is a complete manipulation. It's a manipulation, you know, a lot of the standard wisdom is, oh, they want to stop Trump from running for president. That's why they're doing this. Well, I don't think so. I think they're gambit, and there are some Democratic, you know, consultants and advisors who every now and then Say the quiet part out loud, which is they want to run against Trump. Mm. They desperately run against Trump. So what they're doing is they're increasing his chances of winning the nomination. And in fact, it's, it's provable because if you look at the polling averages prior to the Manhattan indictment, and I was looking at this the other day, the race had been narrowing it had gone from where Trump was up, you know, 20, 30 points in the fall of last year to early March, where he's up 12 or 13 points over DeSantis. Now, he was still ahead. OK, but 12 or 13 points is a lot closer than 30 points. And you get the Alvin Bragg Manhattan district attorney indictment. And you can see on the lines they diverge dramatically mm-hmm. from up. DeSantis drops down. And now Trump's up 30, 35% points, rather. And the rest is, you know, history. And he's gotten bumps with each of these. So if you're a Democrat, you're loving this because you're guaranteeing that the person you want to run against ends up being the nominee because you consider him supremely beatable. And you're sending him into a general election with four criminal charges, criminal trials hanging over his head. Now. People who are Trump supporters say, I don't care, I don't care, that makes me love him more. But you know what? That's not the majority of Americans. Trump has extraordinarily high negatives. You know, something like 60 or 65% of the people in the country view him negatively. You know, a lot of Trump supporters and a lot of right-wing media are living in their own little bubble. They think that these charges are not going to hurt him in a general election. And I I think they're dreaming. I think it helps him in the Republican primaries. But it's going to kill him in the in the general election, and this is a complete setup by the Democrats. Whether the prosecutors were in on a plan or whether they just know what to do, but this is a complete setup because they are using Republicans' natural inclination to rally around Trump because he's under attack to, in fact, um, win the election. I mean. Is it impossible that Trump wins the general election? No, it's not impossible. Uh, Joe Biden is a historically weak candidate. But if Trump can beat Joe Biden, you know what? So can any other Republican candidate, and they can do it much more easily. As you know from the last election, and just from the media and if you know any liberals, uh, they hate Trump more than anything in this world. They, would sit home, probably for most Republican candidates, but they will come out and vote against trump, mm-hmm. and people in Trump world don't see that you know it's like that I forget who it's attributed to when you know people said uh, when Nixon won well, I don't know anybody who voted for him. How could he have won? I don't know anybody who voted for him <laughs> and you know and, and that's kind of in many worlds that ways that's trump world well how how could Trump lose? everybody I know loves him everybody I know who Knows these are BS charges. Everybody I know knows he's being persecuted. How could he possibly lose? Well, because you're you're living in a bubble. And you know my readers get angry when I say things like this. But too bad. I'm going to tell you the truth about it. I'm not going to lie to you like a lot of these grifters, you know, on Twitter who just want to make money off of this and who are behold. Oh. This is devastating to him as a general election candidate.
1: Uh, he's got these four criminal cases against him. Where is he facing the most jeopardy? Does he have real jeopardy? Is this guy going to jail, do you think?
5: Well, Manhattan charges, I can't see how they survive appeals in appellate court review. Uh, it really is a garbage indictment, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, they took crimes that were statute of limitations had run. They created a unique and novel and never-before-used legal theory to turn misdemeanors into felonies to try to beat the statute of limitations. Uh, I have no doubt a Manhattan jury might convict them just because they hate him, but I don't see it holding up on appeal. Um, those have nothing to do with the election. They're seven-year-old bookkeeping charges. The, um, I've always said since last March, and written it, that I thought the one where he had the most exposure was the Miami case, the documents case, because there's no novel or new legal theories there. Uh, Feds are going to have to prove their case, and there are some legal disputes, but legal disputes is not the same as dreaming up new legal theories of criminality. If it is true that he had no right as a matter of law to have those documents, and People defending him say he did. The court's going to determine that. That's a legal matter. It's not a factual matter. But if he had no right to have the documents, uh, then they've got him because he had the documents. If um, they can prove as they claim they can that when he found out the documents were under subpoena, he participated in the scheme to move boxes so his attorneys would not be able to review them, to turn them back over to the feds uh, and that he actually directed people to erase surveillance footage from the area where the boxes were stored. Now they, the footage wasn't erased, but the claim is that he directed people to do that. If they can prove that that's a very simple case. You know, it's violation of the, you know, the national securities laws. Um, it is um, obstruction of justice and then there's that other one, we have him on audio showing what people have said is in a, the US, a military attack plans if we ever got into a war with Iran, showing it to people uh, when he knew he was being recorded. Uh, and he says, oh, this is something I could have declassified, but I didn't. So if they can prove these things, and if the judge rules he had no legal right to have these documents, it's an easily provable case, and I don't see how he gets it overturned on appeal. So I've always said that that is the simplest, most understandable one. Uh, the ones involved in the election fraud, I think the problem is a lot of this conduct is involves constitutionally protected speech. I mean, even the federal indictment in D.C. starts off by saying, you know, Uh, People are allowed to dispute election results. I mean, certainly Democrats have done it any time a Republican's elected president. People are allowed to lie about the results. You know, all of these things are protected speech. So where is the criminality? That's what I think is missing. Georgia tries to fill in that lack of criminality by alleging a conspiracy, trying to make Trump liable for whoever it was that impersonated a public official or whoever it was that sought allegedly improper access to a computer system. Now, it's not clear that that was what happened, but that's what the allegation is that they'll have to prove. So Georgia is trying to expand things way beyond what even D.C. did or Jack uh, Smith, the special counsel who's prosecuting it. Uh, so. I think that I think those cases are more subject to appellate review because of the constitutional issues involved. There is no law against trying to overturn an election. Mm-hmm. The question is did you do some criminal act to overturn the election? Uh, and that's what I'm not sure has been proven so far in these indictments. And and that's why I think those are less likely to hold up on appeal whereas the Miami one, I think, is his biggest
3: risk.
1: Uh, let me ask you real quick, what, what do you think about the uh, that they posted uh, the indictment last night before the grand jury had come back with, with the indictments? What, 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 is that? Does that happen? How does that happen?
5: Well, uh, they say it was a clerical error in the clerk's office, and that, that might very well be true, but why does the clerk's office have what purports to be the counsel of an indictment before the indictment's been issued? Uh, I mean, I think we understand what happened. You know, grand juries are a one-sided affair. The prosecution is the only one presenting the evidence. It's unusual for a grand jury to return a so-called no bill, uh, you know, to not indict. If the prosecution wants to indict you, they get it, you know. Almost all the time, if you know, very close to 100 percent of the time. So if that's what Fannie Willis, the district attorney, um, was intending to have the grand jury vote on, she knew they would vote for it. Okay, there was never a dispute. So you know, I don't know that it has any legal significance. I, you know, I, I don't think my sense is that a clerical error in the clerk's office probably has no legal significance.
1: Uh, and my last question to you: The uh, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you for uh, g- coming down into the mental gutter with us <laughs> and, <laughs> and explaining this to us. Uh, the and my apologies to our to our to all of my citizen uh, producer listeners who I just uh, denigrated that way. The uh, I'm speaking mostly for myself. Uh, the The indictment also has. List. I think, of 40 unindicted co-conspirators. What, what do we know about them? It, it, w- do we know their identities? Do they know that they're unindicted co-conspirators? Do we find this information out at any point?
5: Yeah, I think it, lists, it says 30, unindicted co-conspirators, is one through 30. That doesn't mean they can't add more. And, and that, I don't know, we don't know who they are. Uh, in the federal case, they had five or six or seven and it was pretty obvious from their descriptions who they were. Um, you know, Attorney A, you know, was Rudy Giuliani. It was pretty clear. So there's, but here there's no description of them, and uh, they do say that their identities are known to the grand jury, so they must have been identified. I don't know, as a matter of criminal procedure, whether you get notified if you are an unindicted co-conspirator. Uh, But what this does is it has a very chilling effect because you add that 30 plus the 18, you're not talking about 50 people in Trump world who are either indicted or at risk of being indicted. And it's going to have a very chilling effect. It's going to create the chilling effect that the John Doe investigations created in Wisconsin. And you're probably familiar with those. Mm -hmm. That was the old investigative law uh, and a Democrat prosecutor, I think from Milwaukee, uh, utilized it to essentially subpoena records and raid the homes of a whole slew of conservative activists in Wisconsin. And it essentially froze for over a year, the entire conservative movement in Wisconsin because everybody was afraid to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. But you didn't know, is this one of the people who's the target of John Doe? because it was secret. The targets of John Doe, you know your bank accounts and your phone records have just been subpoenaed by the prosecutors, and you'd receive an order saying that you are not allowed to tell anybody about it. Right. And that actually telling anybody about it would be a crime. And so nobody knew who was, under, who was talking to whom. I mean, I, I remember talking to people, it absolutely froze the entire movement. And I think there's going to have that chilling effect of the... Wide ranging Georgia indictment that people, you know, Republican Party who support Trump, they, they, they're going to be nervous about talking to anybody about anything because you know what? Things we never used to think were criminal could now be used to claim it's a, an act in furtherance of a conspiracy. Right,
1: and they're uh, now going
5: to you know, be accused of things.
1: They, they call it lawfare. So Does the right do it too? Is this just a one-sided affair?
5: Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, I hear a lot of these commentators, well, you know, look what the Democrats are doing. They're going to regret this because they've broken all norms, and now they're going to be at risk. No, they're not. Republicans are not half as nasty as Democrats are. Republicans are not half as methodical as Democrats are. I mean, Democrats do this so well. Uh, And they do it and they have a a multi-year plan. There's a group out there now, the 65 group or something like that, uh, whose sole purpose is to try to get lawyers who represented Trump in election contests in court disbarred. And they're running around the country filing bar complaints against people. Has a very chilling effect because there's nothing unlawful about representing a client in an election contest. You know, that's what you do. Just like there's nothing unlawful about representing a murderer in a criminal. You're not a murderer just because you're a lawyer who represents a murderer in a, as a defense lawyer. And you're not a criminal just because um, somebody alleges there was an election scheme and you represented somebody in court. That's, that's not, never been criminal before, but they are criminalizing their political opposition. So, no, it's, it's, they're so much better at doing this than Republicans ever were.
1: Uh, well, I hope the republicans uh, they either need to up their game uh, or no wonder they what did you say you said that they they're they're not half as ruthless as they're, they're not half as, as yeah. uh, that's why they have less than half the power of the Democrats at this point they they aren't they aren't fighting back and you know a lot of a lot of people in the base they they don't uh, think that it's just politeness anymore I think they're beginning to think that they're in on it. That the establishment is a uniparty establishment, and and they're protecting the establishment. They've chosen sides.
5: Yeah. Well, the way what people don't understand is the way you get even is winning elections. Okay. The way you get even is not perpetually whining about an election that took place two and a half years ago. There is no procedure to decertify an election at all, but certainly not from two and a half years ago. Nobody is removing Joe Biden from office through decertification of the election. If at this press conference he's holding on Monday, Trump can prove there was fraud in the election. It's a dead end, you've alley with no exit because what are you gonna do with that? There's nothing, if you wanna get even, you win the next election, you don't engage in conduct which makes it less likely you will win the next election. And that's what people don't seem to see this. There is no end game to the perpetual whining about the 2020 election. The, the end game should be winning the next election and the perpetual whining. I mean, you know, I hear diehard, you know, Trump supporters that I know say, I love the guy, I still love the guy, I'm still gonna vote for him, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about the 2020 election. Tell us what you're going to do for us, not what you did for us. And, and, and I think that's a dead end. And you, but there's a whole industry of people who make money from that perpetual whining. You can just go to Twitter and see all these accounts that have a million or two million followers. And all they do all day is they whine about the 2020 election and the Uniparty and how corrupt everything is. Well, how about you work to actually win the next election? Because that's the remedy here. The remedy is not to hold a press conference and bring out, you know, the definitive proof that there was fraud in, in 2020. It's not going to change anything. People are sick of it. You don't they think they're going you know, they the to release the Kraken,
1: on. Professor? The Kraken, Professor. <laughs> the
5: Kraken, that's right. It's Powell, you know. Uh, you know and, and this is, you know, there's a whole, it's really terrible what's been done. And I think Trump deserves a lot of the blame. I think that, you know, he couldn't get over that loss. And rather than thinking strategically and rather than looking forward, he has engaged in conduct from mid-November or really early November through, you know, January 6th, which has created a disaster for the country uh, and has wep- allowed the feds to weaponize their machinery against people and has hurt hurt a lot of people. and. You know, what, what I was calling for, I actually wrote this in, I think it was December 14th of 2020, which was after the electors had actually voted. So all of the court contests he'd lost on, um, there was nothing to do the electors had actually cast their votes. I said, now you've got to move forward. Okay. When Trump entered offer, office after Hillary lost, Democrats spent months before Trump took office organizing the resistance so that the day Trump took office, they hit him with everything. They said, that's what Trump needs to do. Trump needs to announce the election was fraudulent, stolen, whatever. That's fine. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. And what I do is I am organizing now to win the next election. Mm-hmm. And I am setting up the apparatus to win the next election. And if he had done that, we'd be in a lot better shape right now than we are uh, because all this whining and all of these machinations, whether they're criminal or not, a lot of what went on was really seedy. Okay. There was criminal or not, it's a different question, but a lot of what went on was really seedy. The, all the phone calls he was making to people trying to get them to change things, uh, you know, and he didn't do it. And now we're in this position that people want to still, spend all their time complaining about 2020 rather than talking about how we're going to win in 2024. It's a dead end uh, and it's a sorry state of affairs. And the Democrats are playing it like a fiddle. They really are. They are, they know that there's a significant portion of the Republican party, probably not 50% of the voters, probably 30 or 35% who are just going to vote for Trump no matter what. And are going to stay home. if, He's not the nominee, and Democrats are loving every second of it.
1: Well, Professor, thank you very much. Thank you for spending so much time. Glad I
5: could cheer you up. Glad I could cheer you No, up. You, you,
1: you definitely, I think you were describing me. When you're talking about the whiners, you're describing me a little it just bit. That isn't fair. <laughs> I'm, you know, here, this is, I actually have a recording of me earlier. Because I'm one of those people that's still very hung up about the 2020 election being stolen. I think it was stolen. And I only think, I think it's relevant in terms of uh, how do you secure the next one? You know, I, I'd i love to know forensically how far back has it been being stolen? You know, did Trump outsteal Hillary? And that's why she was so convinced it was stolen because she was stealing it and she know he had to have outstolen her. You know, uh, the, the, to me, it's like, I feel like we're all just sort of, we're spinning our wheels a little bit if we don't ever get to, okay, how do we make our elections going forward blatantly, transparently secure? Uh, I don't see any movement in that direction from anybody, really.
5: Well, they've, they've done it. In Florida. They've done it in Florida. Okay, so the way you get you stop this stuff is you elect a president who can put that in at the federal level and who has done it. And whether it's DeSantis or somebody else, but the point is that it is doable. You've got to have the will to do it, and Florida and there may be other states are the models where they have eliminated election fraud.
1: Well, I do like a lot of what he has done in Florida, that is for sure. Um, All right, well, I hope you will come back uh, uh you spent a tremendous amount of time. I hope I didn't wear you out. you uh, uh, I felt like we could, we could go down the election rabbit hole for another hour if you want. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah. I think uh, uh, let's let's save it for another time, but I I, I really appreciate you spending time and, and helping helping me and uh, our listeners understand this latest indictment and the other indictments a little bit better than a, than we would otherwise. So thank you very much, Professor.
5: Okay, great. Thanks for having.
1: Me. And everyone should go to LegalInsurrection.com. dot uh, If you have, you need to follow their work. Professor Jacobson, you've been doing important work there for a very long time. And whether you know it or not, you may not even know that he, the the stories that he's been involved with. But you know the stories that he's been involved with. Uh, you, you you were deeply involved with the Oberlin College case, right? Weren't you? You covered that tremendously. Yeah,
5: we covered it from day one. For six years, through the trial, we were the only people to have a reporter in the courtroom full-time for the trial. Uh, yeah, we covered it for over six years. Yeah, so and
1: these so guys are doing important work, and you should be following them closely. So thank you, Professor. It's our privilege right. uh, to have you on. Great. Take care. And that was Professor Jacobson. That was a great interview. He had a lot to say. It was very good. I didn't agree with everything he had to say. He does he he doesn't seem to think that he thinks that the uh the suitcases of ballots under the table in Georgia has been debunked. And I didn't I didn't agree with that.
0: Yeah, and I don't know enough I've from what I've seen. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know that it's debunked. I've never heard that. Um, they debunked that. It was
1: it, you know the original description of it on. You know, it was Jim Hoft at the Gateway Pundit who broke that story. Um, of suitcases of ballots being taken out from underneath the table after they kicked everybody out, uh, and closed up closed up shop for the night. Then they, they they take these what were described as suitcases of ballots, dragged out from underneath the table, and then they started running the ballots after everybody was gone. And the only thing that was debunked was that they weren't suitcases; they were ballot boxes. <laughs> so, uh, to me, okay, yeah, oh, great. The description of the of the box yeah. was incorrect. The box was still there. They had ballots. They still did what we all saw them do. So, nothing's debunked.
0: The only thing I thought was if it if it's if it's kind of true what he's saying, and if the. And if Ruby wasn't doing anything wrong there, it's possible I suppose that that was you know basically a trap that that was bait being thrown out there like let's 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 just th- put some video of some shady looking footage out there and then trap somebody into an accusation uh, of wrongdoing. I guess that's possible um but it certainly looked shady, whatever it was that was going on. Uh, Yeah. Uh, He was making some really good points about, and points we've made too, right? On this show, like about red meat, basically, right? He was, there's, there's all these, there were all of these claims, you know, that people were certain, you know, they just kind of believed and, And took, you know, had great faith in a lot of stories about election fraud that allegedly occurred, but they were actually disinformation campaigns that were going. He didn't call it that, but that's what we've called it. And there was a lot of stories put out there about certain types of fraud that were being committed or where they were being committed or how they were being committed. And... They weren't true and then they weren't, or they weren't provably true. And then those muddied the waters for all of those Trump lawsuits and, and such. And so I think that was kind of the point he was making, but I'm not sure that was the best, uh, the best case example of that. Well, well what I thought, yeah, what I disagreed with him about a little bit is, uh, I just have a different view is, is that, of why they want him, you know, why they want to run against Trump, and I don't think they want to run against Trump because they think they can beat him. Uh, I definitely don't think any other Republican could beat Biden. Um, I, but I think back to what I said at the beginning of the show. I think that they, if if anything, they want to run against Trump so that they can have us lose with Trump with cheating, right? Not because. Trump. Not because Trump is going to lose the election due to unpopularity. And the, I mean, they don't need, you know, they don't need to do the things they're doing to ensure he becomes the nominee. He's going gone with, without all of these indictments, he would still become the nominee. He's still the most popular candidate. So, you know, doing it, what they're doing, if they're doing it on purpose, I don't think it's because they think they can legitimately beat him. It's because there's a bigger psyop at play. Hmm. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I how? Well, what do you think about how you know, the professor gives voice to what seems to be a rising chorus of people who are. Fed up with Trump. They don't think he can win. They're recognizing they think he can't win because it's a legitimate election. He can't win. Uh, uh, and so they're, they're gravitating towards a DeSantis uh, or others in the race. You know, do you think he's right about that? Are, are, is that happening?
0: Yeah, I think he is right. I think it's happening with three or four people. Around the country. (laughs) Is that including
1: the professor or?
0: (laughs) I mean, I know somebody I talked to recently who I hadn't talked to for a long time. And they're just like, I'm tired of Trump. And uh, I'm going for, I sent some money to Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. But you know what? I've never heard anyone else say something that crazy. Hmm. That was the only the only time i've heard someone say that i mean the the I th- you see it a lot
1: like, on twitter t- twitter is or x as it is now is just a a, a, a waterfall yeah. of anti-trump tweets desantis must be paying a fortune I,
0: yeah i mean he's saying that people are in a bubble and they're not really seeing things the way they are and i would i guess i would throw that right back Adam. I mean, I think that people, I think there are, I think there's, I mean, I am tired of hearing Trump complain over and over again about stealing the election. But the reason I'm tired of it is because I actually don't think he's calling it a spade a spade. I mean, he's, I don't think he's accurately portrayed the real depth of the situation. And it was an actual coup. And there was a military overthrow of the government here. And so like when, when he just says it was stolen or it was rigged, I actually feel that that sort of undermines or downplays the severity of the situation because elections are stolen all the time in this country. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, it just happened again. Um, Well, uh, my biggest concern is
1: I don't see anybody organizing to uh, remedy the situation going into 24. What's going to be different this time? Right, and 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 the professor is saying, well, that's what Desantis has done in Florida, Uh, and he's and he's right. Desantis has uh, he's done a lot to deliver Florida to repair Florida. But
0: but I, I just, I don't know. Maybe in the circles that he's floating in around Cornell or or wherever, I just I. Trump is wildly popular and he, he was he he was the highest vote getter I think ever for president mm-hmm. <laughs> after his first so like people are forgetting that you know there the there was an actual coup they had to make it appear that Joe Biden got 80 plus million votes to be the winner so to say that you know there's all this unpopular sentiment against Trump. I mean, I feel like, and I don't think the professor is somebody that is, you know, he was not a never Trumper. He wasn't right. somebody that's just repeating talking points, you know, of the establishment. He's not an establishment guy. Right. Um, that's why I pay very it, close
1: attention to what he's saying, even though I don't necessarily agree. I'm taking it very seriously <laughs> Trump, because he's he yeah, is not a never Trumper.
0: Oh, I think he just has a. I I think he just has a different take. Um, I, I mean, I personally think he's reading it differently than we are. Um, I think I disagree. I think he's not correct on that. Um, but I don't, I don't, it's, I don't think that he's coming from a place of, uh, hatred you know and, and right no he,
1: right he's not he's not suffering from trump trump derangement syndrome he's he's uh it's a it's a very level-headed uh analysis and again the legal analysis which is uh, you know he he i would matt gates had me okay matt gates had me i was riled up matt gates had me riled up <gasps> how can they be uh, you know uh, 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 charging him for free speech well they're not that's not a charge it was an act within the rico charge uh right. and so that was a, I thought a very valuable explanation um of the of the indictment people should go read the indictment go look at it it is it's a crazy indictment and i think really the main point that he was making on the legal analysis is uh, you know the way that this indictment is structured They they have nothing on Trump except to do this as a RICO charge, because they don't have Trump doing anything directly. Uh, Yeah,
0: that's exactly explained. It's like they're trying to take down a mob boss, right? For things other people did that may or may not have been illegal, and things that may have been that were legal that they say aren't and then he brought up the John Doe which is what happened in Wisconsin and that was a that was a good thing for him to bring up because that was one of the things that was happening in the John Doe in Wisconsin is that they were they were accurate in many of the allegations that they made throughout their investigations and their arrests And when they were searching, you know, raiding people's homes, that it, it wasn't, it wasn't that they were wrong on a lot of the things that they claimed about, and the one thing the professor said was he called them conservative activists. It was actually, it was mainly people that weren't acts, or at least a bunch that weren't activists, but were even just people in Scott Walker's staff, just people that were affiliated with him and they weren't even working politically um but they were being accused of things that weren't actually crimes right so they're like you did this 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 and that and it's like yeah well we're, so we're going to put you in jail for it but what it was wasn't illegal and that's i think an important question here with a lot of these claims you know is it to to say I wanna make sure that the count is legitimate. <laughs> is that illegal now? Yeah, you know? Right. Right. I'll make sure the outcome is accurate. I mean by the by the by the by the standards that they're creating right now, it would certainly seem to indicate that Al Gore should have gone to prison.
1: Well, the the thing that's different here and this is what's, you know, why they did this as a RICO case because it looks as though they may have the goods on some people who were who who gained access to equipment in an unauthorized way uh or uh impersonated somebody um, if that happened, okay, well, those individuals may have a problem, but th- n- none of that is Trump unless they make it this RICO case. Uh, you know, other than that, they don't have anything.
0: Um, so it seems like a far, far stretch to be able to prove something like that.
1: Well, and they don't need to. They just need to tie him up past the election. They don't want him in jail. You can't have him be in jail. That makes him the ultimate martyr. They want to derail him for 24. They want him under a giant cloud on trial. And then they steal the election from him. And then he he if he gets convicted, he won't be sent to jail while he's on appeal. And the appeal will go in his favor or something like that. But they're never going to send him to jail. That is that that is actually damaging for them when all they need to do is just get past 24 because he can't run again after 24. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I don't see jail in his future. I do see definitely a conviction in his future, um, but not jail. That's that's that gives that's the mar- that gives him the martyrship, the martyrdom. Uh, well, I
0: say bring it on. right. Bring I, on more of it. Yeah,
1: I, listen. Here is the best case scenario for me: is they they try him. It's a big public spectacle. They convict him. He still somehow outcheats them <laughs> or just just overwhelms their cheating and wins and ascends to the presidency again even after being convicted that's i think he should go to jail and win from jail that's the best case scenario uh I just i want to close out real quick with this uh two things from Vivek Ramaswamy Vivek Ramaswamy um he was that. It's Vivek. Vivek. Sorry. Vivek Ramaswamy. It's my neo colonialist uh, tongue at work there. I, I apologize. I have to examine that. Uh, Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy. He was also at the uh, Iowa State Fair, and he, somebody tried to, an LGBT. QI plus A-A-L-L-G-B-T-Q uh, bot tried to it, 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 give him a gotcha question. And he gave a master class in how to answer this question or one way to answer this question.
3: I was just wondering, I mean, how, what were your opinions on 100%. the LGBTQ community?
1: If you can't hear it, she says, what is your opinion on the LGBTQ plus community? I don't think it's one community.
3: Really?
7: Yeah. I mean, how could it be? Just mashed together an alphabet soup. Trans is fundamentally in tension with gay, if you ask me.
1: And that is absolutely true. Uh, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, the first time I became hip to the rift uh, between the L's and the T's <laughs> it was uh, I was uh, working on a, on a project that never came to fruition, but we were filming in New York and we had hired a uh, local camera crew and uh, uh, the director of photography on that shoot was a very lovely lesbian woman. And, uh, but she was, a, you know, she was a, a, a creature of the left. I would say she was a liberal, but she, was telling me about how uh, frustrated she was with the trans community that uh, she that the lesbian community uh, absolutely felt pushed out by the trans community. And, uh, and this was when I were looking at maybe, what, three years or three or four years ago that this, that this conversation was taking place. I, she opened my eyes. I was like, oh, really? There's a, there's a rift? This isn't all just a monolithic community? Uh, and yeah, she was, she was very upset with the, with the trans community. And I think that, that v- Vivek is, is absolutely right uh, in, in bringing that up, that, that it's not a monolithic community and that there is tension there. But what's your opinion?
4: I am personally am pansexual, so I was okay. just wondering what your views on same-sex couples
7: were. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against a tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority. We have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man in a swim competition. I don't think that somebody who's a woman that respects her bodily autonomy and dignity should be forced to change clothes in a locker room with a man. That's not freedom, that's oppression. And so I believe that we live in a country where free adults should be free to dress how they want behave how they want and that's fine but you don't oppress you don't become oppressive by foisting that on others and that especially includes kids cuz kids aren't the same as adults and so i think adults are free to make whatever choices they want but do not foist that ideology onto children before children are in a position as adults to make decisions for themselves
1: i thought that was a very good answer i know you probably are not 100% thrilled with everything he had to say but uh, what a i thought that was a great approach He basically, you know, he he uh, he turns it around on her. Now, as I as I look at it, I I have to also, you know, the cynic in me. I have to wonder: is this an arranged encounter? The way that she asks the question is not very. It's not very gotcha. It's it's sort of open ended. So either she's never done this before, or she was nervous to be around him. That's
0: Uh, what I. Somebody that's never never done that before. They never got to ask a question of somebody that prominent. And so they just came up with a stupid question.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, cause that's the first thing I thought like, what kind of question is that? Like, what do you think about the same sex couples or whatever? And I was mean, it's like, it's such a, it's such a, what's your opinion there, but there's no, it's not asking him anything, but his answer was a fine answer for a political response. You know, I mean, it was, but I, you know, yeah, there's a lot more I could go into on it. So, but yeah, right. Pretty good, pretty good
1: response. Uh, And then he goes and he does, (laughs) Then he goes and he does this. Snap
7: back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes gravity. He choke. He's so mad, but he won't give up that
5: easy.
1: Oh, he won't give <laughs> but he he don't bad. He baddies. did this at the, the fairside side chat don't, with don't Governor Kim Reynolds.
0: He's <laughs> rapping Eminem. Did he, is Milo working on his campaign? Seriously. Too? What is that
1: about? why <laughs> Talk about not reading the room. He's I, he's like he's doing a Bill Clinton thing when Bill Clinton played the saxophone. But, uh, he, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Clinton playing the saxophone worked.
1: Well, and the saxophone doesn't come across. It's not like, you know, Eminem is like gangster rap is what it's, <laughs> you know. He, he's had some pretty racy lyrics. Yeah. I, it, it, it I just don't think it reads the room very well
7: snap back to reality oh there goes gravity oh there goes gravity he choke he's so mad but he won't give <laughs> up that easy no he's on gravity no his own back to these ropes his own
1: yeah I just think it's I think that's a mistake <laughs>
0: that song makes me think everything else he said was memorized somewhere too
1: yeah it's not good <laughs> I don't think that was a good look that was not the win he thought it was Well, Jeremy Siegel, it has been a pleasure having you back on the Truth Bait Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You broke up there. Did you just say that this was the best thing you've done all week?
0: I said it's been a pleasure to be back.
1: Uh, Jeremy, you're, you're extremely busy. Life is Throwing you fastballs, and I know that I appreciate it, and I know our audience appreciates you being here. Um, this was something we couldn't 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 go without your take, man. Uh, so thank you very much for being here, and I hope that you can come back soon uh, and be with us again. And I appreciate you listening while you're not able to be here. That's uh, that's impressive too. I didn't I didn't know if you'd have time. <laughs> it's lonely here without you, Jeremy.
0: I didn't have time. I was listening in the bee
1: yard. <laughs> you were listening with the bees. You had, a, you had a major bee
0: incident, didn't you? Tell people I about was your bee in, incident. What happened? Listening in the bee yard. I didn't even get stung. They must have found your voice soothing. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't have a bee incident. I oh, had yeah, a bald right. hornet incident. To us, was, city folk,
1: uh, they're all the same It's a stinging as th- a stinging flying up, insect.
0: So, states hornets build a nest that's like a big paper ball with sheets of thin tissue paper wrapping around it. Like, say, like si- this one was the size of a basketball; it was huge, right over my swimming pool, like right over where the kids are swimming. Mm. And the hornets, I mean, they, they're not like stinging. They can, but they haven't been, you know, they're sort of like 10 feet high. They're not really bothering anybody except that they're there. Nobody's gotten stung by them. And uh, executive producer, Ann, is like, can you go get the wasp's nest down tonight or the hornet's nest finally? And I'm just like, all right, you know, and she's like, I'm just trying to remind you. So I go out and I get my suit on, my bee suit. But they were, uh, yeah, I tried to, last year I had the same thing happen in the same spot and I ripped it down with the swimming pool net and just drowned them immediately. Uh, but this time it didn't work and the whole nest exploded.
1: <laughs> well, that must make them very
0: happy. <laughs> I had a flash like, on my head, on my hat, and so... All I could see was like a swarm of these ballface hornets coming toward the light, you know, like right at my head. And I just took off. I ran, oh. and uh, I ran through them. I felt them bouncing off of me. Fortunately, I was smart <laughs> enough to wear my 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 bee jacket and veil, so I uh, did not get stung. I don't know the status of the nest. I know that most of it I saw fly into the swimming pool. I don't know if it floated or sank. I hope there's not a raft of like 800 angry hornets tomorrow. Right. Can <laughs> like they ref-
1: survive with half a nest or will they just abandon the nest and go start somewhere else?
0: I mean, if it's like floating around the pool, like a Haitian refugee float. <laughs> oh, I- man.
1: <laughs> there goes <laughs> our Haitian audience. <laughs> yeah.
0: They might. Uh, I think they might abandon it, but I guess you never know if they want their citizenship, they'll be floating there in the morning.
1: (laughs) Wow. That is, that is very brave. That's quite, that's a traumatic story, man. And then you got on air. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, here, I think that's an excellent way to end the show. Jeremy Siegel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to all of our listener producers. And thank you to professor William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com, definitely go there, bookmark that page, follow them regularly, and follow the Truth Bait podcast. Where we are coming to you with a brand new episode every single Tuesday and Friday. Both Jeremy and I together without fail. The best of problem. Yeah, and you broke up. So he said to the best of our ability. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> you know what it is? It's weird. The the music clip is cutting you out. I don't know That's why. what
0: happens. And you cut out with the music, too. Oh, that is so I'm going to keep it really low. Yeah. It's annoying. <laughs> all right, thank you Jeremy. Thank you everybody.
1: And now back into the sea of clickbait with us all.